Well, like I say, I didn't know what to expect for tonight. <clears throat> and I thought, you know what? Especially since we're in those judgment passages in Hosea on Valentine's Day. Uh, we'll kind of pause that for this week. Uh, the topic I want to cover tonight, I know I've covered on Sunday morning. Uh, covered a little differently tonight uh, than, than um, Sunday morning. But 1 Corinthians 13. 1 Corinthians 13. God's Valentine card. Did you get a Valentine card? Did you give your sweetheart a Valentine card? Okay. Well, tonight we see God's Valentine card. Like I say, we've we've covered this is nothing new. We've covered this passage before, and maybe tonight a little little differently. First Corinthians thirteen. Paul says, if I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part, but when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. When I was a child, I spoke like a child, I thought like a child, I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. So now faith, hope, and love abide, these three, but the greatest of these <coughs> is love. I think if we were looking for a Valentine card from God, this chapter would be it. Uh, now, we have to remember the situation at Corinth to fully appreciate what's being said here. Corinth was Paul's problem child. If you've had a problem child... Well, Paul had a spiritual problem child as far as congregations go. And Corinth was his problem child. They were a very unhealthy and divided bunch. Do you remember some of the things they divided over? Does anybody remember 1 Corinthians? What Some of the things Paul writes about? Spiritual gifts. They were... They were bragging over the more sensational gifts. Those who had the more attention-getting gifts or sensational gifts, they were bragging about those, weren't they? And even acting like some of the lesser gifts weren't even needed. And Paul said some of those lesser gifts are actually more needful for the body. What else? That's a good one. I did not put that one down, but that's a great one. What, what do we do with me? Like the division over 
Weak and strong believers and eating meat sacrificed to idols or not. Christian liberty, Christian freedom. Am I, do I have that liberty or not? Some taking one position, some another. What else? Weren't they disagreeing over who to follow? Absolutely. Uh, pers- they were personality chasers. They had the little groupies in the church. The little Paul groupie and the Simon Peter groupie and, and Apollos groupie. Uh, and Paul said, what? Was I, was I crucified for you? Was I baptized for you? Did I baptize any of you? Uh, Paul said, no, it's to be about Christ. Why are, why are we divided over personalities? Uh, one sows, another reaps, but it's God who gets, gives the increase, and it's God who gets the glory. So all this division over personalities. And Paul said, you're, you're like a bunch of babies. You like a bunch of babies. You know, kind of like in, in the world today, some people just chase after celebrities, don't they? Well, in the church, they were chasing over different apostles who they were considering the, the one that they needed to follow. Uh, what else? Anything else they were divided over? They were suing each other. Yeah, taking one another to court and suing one another. And you remember what Paul said about that? Could you not appoint judges within the church family to decide the case? Do you have to go outside to secular judges? He went on to say, don't you realize that we're even going to judge who? The angels. Yeah. And he said, and if you come down to it, I mean, if it's really that big of a deal, aren't you even willing to take the loss rather than take a brother to court and sue a brother or sister? All these things they were dividing over. Uh, so that sets the stage for chapter 13. And you really have to tie it in with the end of chapter 12 where Paul has just been discussing their division over spiritual gifts. And so what does he say at the beginning of uh, the end of chapter 12 that we need to understand as we go into chapter 13? Exactly. He's just talked about their division. And now I'm going to show you a more (coughs) excellent way. He continues discussing gifts through chapter 14. But right in between, right in the middle, is chapter 13 showing the more excellent way. And so his point is, whatever your gift is, are you doing it with love? And are you doing it to build up the church and to build others up? Is that why you're using your gift? Or are you using it to try to call attention to yourself? Now, a word of caution I think is in order. The world will try to tell us that truth and doctrine do not matter. Just as long as you have love. The Bible doesn't support that. In fact, it tells us we're to contend for the faith once for all delivered to the saints. Likewise, some want to only talk about the love of God and ignore His justice, His holiness, or His wrath. I think it was Rick brought up last week. We were talking about the unity of God, how we need to look at all of the attributes of God together, not just concentrate on love. We also need to talk about His holiness and His wrath. Uh, 
So again, we, we have to be careful that we don't go with the world on this. It's not either or, it's both and. We're to care about truth, we're to care about doctrine, and we're to live it out in love. Right? Uh, one scholar says this chapter is the greatest, strongest, deepest thing the Apostle Paul ever wrote. What we learn here is the central thing in life and in church is not the carrying out of the gifts, but it's the practicing of the gifts in Christian love. First of all, he talks about the value of love. The first three verses, the value of love. He says, If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have, uh, and if I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. So right away, Paul sets up some scenarios, doesn't he? Let's say that I can speak with the tongues of men and of angels, or have the gift of prophecy, or know deep mysteries that others only wonder about or have a mountain-moving type faith, or let's say I'm a benevolent enough person to give away everything I own to others, and maybe I'm even to will willing to lay down my very life in sacrifice. Boy, I'd be a pretty wonderful person, wouldn't I? <laughs> Paul says, not if you don't have love. And not if love's not the reason why you're doing it. I'd say it's important to note the how many times he uses the word if yeah. and all? Yep. Because it's a hypothetical because he's using if. Sure. And then the all, nobody's going to have all of everything. Right. You know, so I mean, it's a, yep. it's, it's a, a tool, <clears throat> sure. a tool, a yeah. grammatical tool he's using to emphasize yeah. this point. Basically, if I, if I embodied all of these things, you know, in perfection, wouldn't I be great? And wouldn't I be great? Paul says, nope. Not if it's not carried out in love. You know, let's, let's talk about some of those tongues of men and of angels. The gift of tongues, we're introduced to that in Acts chapter 2. Uh, the festival at Pentecost. That was the most attended out of the festivals because of the weather the time of year. So Jews from all over the world, many were able to come back to Israel for the festival of Pentecost, celebrating fruits, harvest. Travel was easy at that time of the year, that season of the year. So many had come back home to celebrate that. And where they had moved out, remember after the exile, many of them stayed in Babylon. Uh, only 50,000 came back. And many of the Jews had begun to move out to different parts of the Greco-Roman world, picking up different languages of the cultures they'd settled in. And so they come back. And when the Holy Spirit falls on the day of Pentecost, what are the apostles doing? <coughs> They're preaching the good news of Christ and people are understanding in their language. 
Galilean men who were not well studied, speaking in languages, and all these people gathered, understood. Uh, now, for the most part, it appears to have passed away even before the New Testament was complete. You don't find it in any of the other letters being emphasized. You read the other epistles, the other books of the New Testament. Uh, silence for the most part. Uh, we only see in a couple of places in Acts where very clearly it's speaking of languages. At Corinth, what we see is a perversion of the gift of tongues. We see at Corinth, they were actually trying to make it into something it, it wasn't. And in the book of Acts, being these different languages, it was a sign that the gospel is meant for all peoples, just as the Great Commission states. You know, in the book of Revelation, we see that people of all languages, nations, and tongues gathered around the throne, the redeemed, out of all these languages and cultures. The gospel is meant for, for the world. The Great Commission, we're to go into all the world. It was also a sign to Jews that God was ready to welcome Gentiles from around the world into His family. Any who would come through Christ were now a part of His family. Again, at Corinth, they had tried to make it some type of personal or private ecstatic utterance. Uh, but He says here, what if I have the legitimate gift of tongues? Could speak with the language of Men and of angels, he's describing somebody here who has an awesome command of language. I happen to think maybe he had somebody in mind. Does anybody in the New Testament come to mind? Anybody at Corinth come to mind? Apollos? Apollos. Apollos was the silver-tongued orator. So many people, you know, Aquila and Priscilla had to take him under their tutelage to, to school him more in the faith, but he was tremendously effective in speaking. Uh, very eloquent. And people apparently gravitated to, to Apollos. Just what an awesome speaker he was, able to move the masses. And Paul says, if, if that were my gift and I, and I had a wonderful command like that, could mesmerize a crowd with my, with my words and my speech, but didn't have love, I'd be nothing. It's no good without love. Gift of prophecy, the ability to know and declare the will of God. It refers to the proclamation of the Word of God through the power and presence of the Holy Spirit. Before the canon of Scripture, uh, God used prophets and apostles to pen the words of Scripture. Thus saith the Lord, and they would write down what the Lord's message was. Today it's interpreted in the sense not foretelling, but forthtelling, proclaiming what has been written. Because new books in the Bible aren't being written. You don't have to 
go to Books a Million or go on Amazon every month and buy a new Bible because new, new books are being added to the canon of Scripture. We believe in a closed canon, right? So not foretelling in the sense of new revelation, but foretelling in the sense of proclaiming what God has said. And again, Paul says, if I had that gift and could do it wonderfully effective, but have not love, if I'm not doing it for the right reason, it's, it's nothing. Even though in chapter 12, verse 28, he lists it as one of the greater gifts. But he says, if it's not done with love, nothing. Special knowledge and mysteries. The kind of person whom God gives to the church that, that everybody just looks to, they, they have a good head on their shoulders. They're a wise person. They're grounded and very wise. You know, the church is facing big decisions and this is the person or the persons. They, they, they're just the one everybody kind of looks to to give us some wisdom and direction. Discernment would be a good way to put it too. Men in the Bible like Joseph, or Daniel. Uh, Mountain-moving type faith. He's not referring to saving faith, uh, but somebody who not only has saving faith, but, but that miracle-working type faith. The, the, the phrase, able to move mountains, became proverbial for miracle-working faith. We still say that today. So-and-so just seems to have that special connection with God. A mountain-moving type faith. The type of faith, somebody has something wrong with them. I want that person praying for me. I want that person. Just the special connection with God. Then people with gifts of giving. And, and the way it's set up here in the Greek text, it, it's the idea of somebody with great wealth and, and the way they divide it up and distribute it, it's so that they can do the most good to the most people. Uh, you know, on the surface, it's hard to imagine somebody dividing up everything they have and giving out uh, without love. But Jesus reminds us in the Sermon on the Mount that some people give wine. To be recognized or to be seen by others. And, and that's the reason they do it. And Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, they wanted praise from men. They'll, they'll get praise from men. Some people will praise them for that. But Jesus said, that's all they'll get. They have their praise. They shouldn't expect to get it from God. They weren't after God giving them praise anyway, they were after man's recognition. They got that. That's all they need to expect. Body to be burned. What do you what do you think that might refer to? Body to be burned. Execution is very real in this time. Bingo. Thank you. Still is today. Still is today. Being willing to to be a martyr for Christ. To take a stand and, and to be a martyr. A Daniel type person was willing to be thrown into the lion's den. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego thrown into the fiery furnace. Remember what they said? Remember what they said to the king? Old king, we know that... Finish out, huh? Our God will take care of us. We know our God's going to take care of us. 
But even if he doesn't, we will not obey your edict. They were willing to give their very lives. Uh, even that, believe it or not, Paul says love's got to be the motivation. Again, it just reminds us you can do just about anything out of the wrong motive. Even Christians in church can do just about anything, good things, great things, noble things, for the wrong reason. <clears throat> and if somebody's doing these things without love, they can, it's not only the wrong reason, but it could even cause division. It's, it's the gifts exercised in Christian love out of the motive to build up the body and others. That's what God blesses. And glorify Him. And glorify Him through that, yes. And it's also the word agape love here. Agape love was the most noble form of love. Self-giving, self-sacrificing type love where you're able to look at the other person and even put yourself out so that their needs will be met. That's the type of love that he's talking about here. <clears throat> now, before we move on though, let's bring these verses down even more to, to, to today. You, you know, you could go to church every Sunday but it'd be a big fat, fat zero if you were going for the wrong reason, right? You can tithe big fat zero if you're not doing it for the right reason. You could spend four days a week volunteering here or at a hospital or somewhere else, or Salvation Army, Cooperative Christian Ministries, anywhere else like that. And as far as recognition from God, again, big fat zero if it's not done for the right reason and in the right spirit. Muslim terrorists will strap a bomb to themselves and go in and try to kill 300 people. Are they religious? Is that person religious in a sense to their, to their religion? Yeah. But is there love in that? No. No. You can do all kinds of churchy stuff, all kinds of religious stuff. Be prideful, arrogant, grouchy, hateful, critical, unkind, uncaring. And in that case, your religion is worthless and in vain. <clears throat> Again, it's hard for us to even imagine people doing what Paul is saying here. Um, but, but we know it is done. That people do things for the wrong reasons all the time. You know, maybe you've heard of stories in, in church about church groups, maybe different groups, different Sunday school classes or something, being asked to do something. We're not going to do that. Let that class do that. Let them make that sacrifice. You're not going to make that sacrifice? No, we're not going to make You want them to, but not you? Yeah, yeah, put them out. Ask them to do it. We're not going to do that. 
selfishness. Paul says again, if that's you, your faith is useless. It's nothing. It's, it's not even the real thing. And, and God doesn't recognize it. There's no reward in it. And then he talks about the nature of love secondly. And notice how tr- rather than trying to give a Webster type dictionary uh, definition of, of love, he, he described it it's more powerful to describe what it looks like in action. And that's what he's doing. He's talking about the nature of love, what it's going to look like in action. He says, love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It's not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things, Love never ends. As for prophecies, they'll pass away. As for tongues, they'll cease. As for knowledge, it'll it'll fade away. Again, here we see the composition of of true love. And we need to see what, what the nature of true love is, what love really looks like in action, because there's so many counterfeits out there in our world today, so many imitation things, so many counterfeit things. Same way with love. There's so many counterfeits of the real thing. So many cheap imitations. Um, And so he wants us to see that the real thing is not just some type of fleeting emotion. Some kind of emotion that hits you today, you might have it, but you don't have it tomorrow. You know, that's such a juvenile way to think about love, isn't it? Uh, Oh, sure, there'll be the feeling of love, but feelings follow actions. And I try to tell couples that all the time in, in, in counseling. Start doing the things you did at first. They'll say, you know, we've just fallen out of love. No, you didn't fall out of love. You've grown out of love. Well, we fell in love. No, you didn't fall in love. You grew in love. Tell me what you did when you first started dating. And all oh, the woman will light up. Oh, he would do this for me, and he would do that for me, and she would do this, and she'd do that. Well, what, what happened? Oh, I fell in love with her. I fell in love with her. Again, no, you didn't fall in love with them. You grew in love. What are you doing now? He doesn't even speak to me when he comes home. <laughs> He's crouching. <laughs> or she does this or that or whatever. We've fallen out of love. No, you've grown out of love. Go back and do what you did at first. And the feelings will come back. Pastor, we, I have to tell you this. We were at the nail salon. I'm too old to cut his toenails, and they're too hard to get to. Anyway, there we were at the nail salon, and this couple next to us, they were getting married. And they said, uh, how long have you been married? And we told them, 52 and a half years. Well, what's your secret for marriage? And I said, well, I've learned that it's not 50-50. You each give 100. And I said, that's been the biggest difference. And then I said, let's put God first. Absolutely. But uh, I thought, well, Lord, give me a chance to 
a witness, and when she asked that, yeah. uh, because really, when you get married, you think it's going to be 50-50, that's <laughs> We all want the feeling of love. Just remember, feelings follow actions. If you don't have the feeling, change your actions. If you said this, I'll make you credit when I wrote this in my Bible. Feelings make a good caboose. Yep. A lousy locomotive. Yes, I did. Yeah. Feelings make a wonderful caboose. A lousy locomotive. Yep. Exactly. Glad you wrote that down. I was, uh, if you ever make a million dollars off of that, you know, publishing it in a book, give me some royalties or something. Okay. I was uh, traveling somewhere some years ago, and I was listening to a radio station that was uh, talking about longevity of marriages. And I had this old gentleman on there, and he'd been married like 70 years. And I asked him, what was the secret of this? He said, well, boys, I'll tell you three little phrases. I will, yes, ma'am, and I'm sorry. <laughs> okay, so if it's actions, uh, what are those actions? Look at what he said. Let's just name them. Love is patient. Love is patient. The word here means having the capacity to endure tough times. Uh, the word in the Greek text is used almost exclusively with regards to being patient with people and long-suffering with people, not simply circumstances. Patient with people. That can be a hard one at times, right? Yeah. Patient with people. Means a long fuse. <clears throat> a long fuse. I think of this big stick of dynamite, and you have this long, long fuse. It better have a long one because short sure it's going to really explode. Yep. <laughs> so the longer it goes, you have time to think about it. <laughs> yep. Exactly. Remember, we serve a patient God. Second Peter three nine says He is long suffering and patient and being sealed with His Spirit and indwelt with His Spirit, we're to have His nature about us, right? If He's patient, we're to be patient. Aren't you glad He was patient with you? He still is. And continues to be. Yep. Love is kind. Uh, this is the positive side of patience. It not only endures, but it responds with kindness. Maybe when you want to respond with vindictiveness or something. Uh, or you want to respond to bad with bad. That just keeps something stirred up, doesn't it? It grows. It, what? It grows. Yeah. yeah. But if we return bad with kindness, it sort of breaks that cycle. It says love is not jealous. That's next. Envious or jealous? Jealousy. It's not displeased over the successes of others. Maybe in the workplace, you and a coworker have done the identical thing, but they get all the credit or the rewards or promotions. Kind of tough to swallow that one, isn't it? 
But he's saying we need to be happy with the successes of others when good things come their way. Instead of resentful uh, or jealous or envious. You know, in church, maybe somebody can be jealous of somebody else because, you know, I can't give like him or I can't give like her. I can't sing like that person sings. I can't teach like they teach or, you know, do something. Do something that that, like that other person's doing. And we're jealous. He says, that's not love. Then he says, love doesn't, love doesn't brag. It, it, it's not arrogant. Uh, or rather, it, it, uh, it doesn't boast. Uh, the Corinthians were boasting over their own abilities. They were building up their spiritual gift and downplaying the gifts of others. They were causing division in the church there because they were saying, hey, I'm more needed than you are. I, mean, I, I can't imagine a group of people being that way. I'm more needed than you are. My gift's more needed than you. Can you imagine people walking around in church that way? Paul says if there's going to be any boasting at all in the church, it ought to be boasting over what? The cross of Christ. Because we're nothing apart from Him, can do nothing apart from Him. He says it doesn't act next on the list, doesn't act unbecomingly or rude. Have you ever been out with another couple and you heard one of them just say something awful about the other one publicly? Tear down their wife or their husband and you're like, why would you say that? You probably, like me, you've probably been in a social setting like that before with somebody. And you're like, whoa, you feel sorry for that wife or that husband. That's not love. It, it doesn't act rude and unbecoming like that. Uh, sometimes people in church can be rude and say, you know, that's just the way I am. I call it like I see it. <laughs> no. That, I mean, that may be the way you are, but that's sin. And you need to repent of your sin. It may be that you're just rude and you never learn manners. He says, love's not self-seeking. It, it, it's, it's not insisting on its own way. Because again, agape love by its very definition is what? Self-sacrificial. Self-sacrificial, exactly. Exactly. We're not have this what's in it for me mentality. You know. Or what's in it for my group. I've told you before. You want to see some grown men act like toddlers change their Sunday school, move, move their Sunday school classroom. Move them out of a room they like into a room because another class needs that room more. And another... And they would fit somewhere else just as easily. Move them out of their room. <laughs> See, a 60-year-old, 70-year-old, all of a sudden act like a two-year-old toddler. <laughs> That's not love. He, 
You what? <laughs> Stepping on your toes. <laughs> he says, love is not easily provoked. Again, a lot of people hide behind being in a bad mood when it may be they're just not right spiritually. They easily anger. They, they blow up. Folks, that's not just an emotional problem. That's a spiritual problem. Nobody ought to have to walk on eggshells around a Christian afraid that this person's about to explode at any moment. No record of wrongs kept. Ooh, that's a good one for marriage. Talk about on Valentine's Day. I remember what you said 12 years ago, and I have not forgotten it. <laughs> Been there? Oh, confession time. <laughs> Do you need a confessional booth and a priest to absolve you from not in your crowd? Okay. <laughs> Oh, mercy. What if, what if God kept a record, a list of everything we had done? We'd be in trouble, wouldn't we? Aren't you glad for His forgiveness? What Jesus say in the Lord's Prayer about? Forgive us our debts as what? As we forgive our debtors. Can you pray that? Lord, forgive me in the exact way that I forgive my brother and my sister. Can you do that? I hope so. I hope we can. God treat other people exactly like I treat them. Exactly like I treat them. What I used to measure out the way I act towards people, measure that back to me. That makes you kind of stop and think, doesn't it? He says, love does not rejoice in unrighteousness, but rejoices with the truth. Rejoices with the truth. Think about that one. Not rejoicing in unrighteousness, but rejoicing in the truth. Think of the people in society today that get on the bandwagon cheering people who are doing something maybe pagan. And they're cheering them on. What we ought to be cheering on is when people live and act biblically, right? <clears throat> Love bears all things, he says here. <clears throat> Verse 7, bears all things. That has the idea of protecting or covering. Can you think of anybody in the Old Testament that covered something? Think early on. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's a good guess. That wasn't what I had in mind. But think of somebody early on covering. Noah. Yeah. What, hap what happened when Noah got off the ark? Got drunk. Laying in his tent, naked. One of his sons, <laughs> to the other brother, have you seen Dad? And the other brothers took something, walked in, and covered him up. Right? <clears throat> so one brother's trying to make it public. The others are trying to cover it up. 
You know, there are some people who see somebody they maybe know of them doing something wrong or going through something in their lives and in church they'll advertise it. Now, now don't say anything about someone's up. Just pray for them. Have you heard what what they're doing or going through? Just pray for them and they spread it that way, right? I don't repeat gossip, so listen first to close. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) But think of what Jesus did for us. He covered our sin with His blood. Then He says love believes all things. Meaning we're, we're trusting, giving people the benefit of the doubt. Maybe somebody does something and you're like, I didn't appreciate that. And they say, well, wow, that's not what I meant at all. I'm sorry. Take them at their word. Give them the benefit of the doubt. That they didn't mean it bad. Folks, in our culture today, we need to look over this list because in society today, we are are losing the ability to live out these things. Our culture is becoming more rude and crude and socially unacceptable. And just look at some of the things being said and done on social media. It's it's a cry and shame. It's, It's amazing to me some of the things you see on social media. Or maybe some of these reality shows. I don't, I, I don't advise even watching those. There's so many of those out there today. You'll have adults acting like 12-year-old teenagers. I mean, it's just incredible. A narcissist. 40-year-old narcissist. That's what's being modeled to our young people. Those are the examples being held up to our young people today. And what a shame that is. We need to be better than that in the church. Then he talks about the eternality of love. He says, for we know in part, there in verse 9, we prophesy in part, but when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. When I was a child, I spoke like a child, I thought like a child, I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. So now abide faith, hope, and and love. Uh, So now faith, hope, and love abide, these three, but the greatest of these is love. Now there's, there's different opinions or interpretation about what it means for the perfect to come and the gifts to be done away with. Uh, Keeping in mind that all of the Bible was not yet complete, some interpreters feel like it means when the Scripture was finally complete that all the gifts would be done away with because we wouldn't need them. That, That might sound good on the surface to some, and certainly the Word of God is perfect, refreshing the soul, uh, as the Scripture says, but I don't think that's what Paul means at all. Uh, Others feel like what he means by the perfect coming is that when the Corinthians grow up and finally practice love, then the other gifts will not be needed. Uh, Because love will supersede all the gifts. Uh, Again, maybe some truth in that. But I think the text itself reveals what it is that he means. Verse 12, for example, says, For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, 
even as I have been fully known. I think he's speaking of the age to come. When we get to heaven. In the church, we still need the gifts. I disagree with those who say just love, we don't need. No, we still need the gifts. We need them carried out in love, but we still need them. But in the age to come, some of these things we're not going to need, but there's still going to be love that's needed. Um, all of the gifts that are given to the church for the reaching of a lost world one day won't be needed to do that. When we get to heaven, there'll be no need for prophecy or any of the gifts like that. And, and what Paul does here, he uses a couple of illustrations, childhood and mirrors. Childhood versus manhood. What childhood is to manhood, he's saying, so the present age is to the age to come. All the things children do as children, men aren't supposed to do, shouldn't do. Men put away childish things. When we get to heaven and age to come, many of the things the church does now, we won't need. Mirrors is the other illustration. Mirrors versus being face to face. The mirrors of that day were polished metals. They were flawed. Uh, some of them would only give a dim reflection. And he's saying that's descriptive of this age. As best as we can see, we still only see dimly or partial. But in the age to come, we will see face to face. And he's saying the one thing that'll never go out of style, even in the age to come, is, is love. Many of the things the church needs now to win a lost world to Christ, in the age to come, when we're home with the Lord, won't be needed anymore. But love will still be needed and still be present. <clears throat> and so what Paul is saying is we need to live as kingdom citizens now. If that's what's going to last through eternity, that's what we need to be investing in now. We need to quit being like children. We need to quit fighting and backbiting and being full of envy. Things like little children might do. And we need to live as kingdom citizens. And so there's some lessons here. Lesson number one, love is to undergird everything we do. Didn't give you a page tonight, so you'll have to write that out if you're writing. Love is to undergird everything we do. And then a second lesson would be love is more than a warm feeling. It's hard to define, it's much easier to see. It's described by actions. And then thirdly, Christians are to love regardless of the worthiness of the one who is the object of love. We weren't worthy, and yet Christ loved us. So we're to love regardless of the worthiness of the other person. 
We're to be Christ-like. So what I would ask you tonight is, how's your love life? <laughs> On Valentine's Day, how's your love life? Seriously. How's your love life? How's it measure up to what he's saying here in these verses? Love is to look like in action. How's your love life? Any comments or questions? I'm sorry. I'm getting personal now. Getting personal. Do we need to talk to have Phyllis talk? No. No. <laughs> Richard. Um, Monday, Monday, this beautiful girl, she gave me this and says, Jesus loves you, this uh, bracelet. And she's 23 years old. And she's horribly disfigured. She uh, she's born that way, and she's had 15 major operations, and she's you know really, really her face is really horribly disfigured. And uh, she goes with her grandmother uh, to different uh, places. Takes her grandmother all over. Maybe the uh, mother and father. Didn't want her, I don't know. But uh, she, uh, um, here's an example at Christmas time, they don't have much money, mother and her and her grandmother, so they pull their money together, what they usually spend on each other, they just, at Christmas time, give it to people in the area, you know, give, help people, uh, you know, and, uh, she goes to a church in, in Monroe, and uh, it's very humbling. And she just, you know, she uh, she serves people, you know, and uh, giving a glass of water, giving a napkin. And she didn't have to do that, you know, sit up there, you know. She just gets up and does things for people. She does have a job dealing with uh, older folks. I don't know if it's some kind of retirement place. But uh, she is. Uh, but the thing I want to mention is she could have been real bitter because you figure whoever sees her, she as you grow up, you know, evil kids could be oh, yes. mocking and um, make fun of her and disfigure, you know, and uh, like uh, like David Raymond or mm -hmm. whatever fellow. Uh, who was burnt in the, in the war, and they, they're not bitter, or Johnny Erickson, they, they, I mean, they're hurting, but they're not bitter. And, and so, because because of her <coughs> face and everything, because of the attention people give her, she shows, she shines Jesus, and she loves Jesus. Amen. You know, but, you know, I said, I feel real humbled by, you know, by that, that, that Good example of 1 Corinthians 13. Yes. It's a walking testimony of it. Yeah. Wow. Well, you know, one thing that I think about because we're reading Leviticus. Right. And I sat there thinking how God says, Be holy as I am holy, and see how much He was trying to teach them to obey his rules. It's really made me feel unholy. <laughs> because when I see how, how holiness was so important, 
And if we're holy, we're going to be loving because Joe and I have been reading in John and 1st John, and it's about love, love. If you don't love your brother, then you see, see the lack of love everywhere. Sure. Yeah. So no wonder God said, love your neighbor as yourself. I don't think it's an accident the further away society is getting from God, the less and less love we're seeing. I mean, that's kind of a natural progression. Rick? Yeah, earlier you mentioned the age to come. Mm -hmm. I'm assuming by that you're meaning post-rapture, post-tribulation, post-millennial kingdom. Is that correct? When we're with Christ. Okay. The new heavens and the new earth, the Eternal. age to come. Mm -hmm. yes. Bible only knows, currently the Bible only knows of two ages. This age and the age to come. Yep. So when we're with the Lord. Another thing I noticed was in that verses 4 through, I guess, 8 there, as he's going back and forth between the positive and negative um, Comparisons, if you will. Mm -hmm. um, you mentioned earlier that agape is active. Well, each one of those positive is active in its action, mm -hmm. and even the negative ones, it involves a active decision not to not engage to yeah. in those other things, which are our natural tendencies yeah. to do. Yeah. So. Yeah. Actions, positive and negative. Again, not just feelings or emotions that are fickle. It sort of seems to me that when we grew up, we started school in 1949. Mm -hmm. Things were very, very different. We had a, one person in our class who was illegitimate. She knew it, and everybody knew it. And I never heard one person say a word to mm -hmm. her about it. And mm -hmm. two or three grades younger than us, there was a young boy. He was biracial. I never heard a word that anybody ever said. And I can only imagine what happens to children like that these days from what I hear. Mm -hmm. And I don't know if it's love or if it's manners, or if it's empathy, I don't know what it is. It's lack of character, lack of spiritual training. Well, I can't um, imagine all the Lack of manners, it's all of the above. <laughs> yeah. Not much character, yeah. We were taught to be better than that. And we were young. And you were also, you probably had Bible reading in school, didn't you? Oh, yeah. Bible yeah. stories, prayer. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Mom and a dad. And again, that's why I was saying to Marlene, it's, I don't think it's any accident. The further society today is pushing God out of everything and getting more and more distant from Him, it goes hand in hand that... God's characteristics and attributes, we're going to see less and less of that in society as we're moving further and further away from Him. If we allow it to happen. Yeah. yeah. 
I can remember I came home from school one day when I just started. I was in about the fourth or seventh grade. And I was so proud because I had been told something that I thought was wonderful. And I told my mother, I said, Mother, I hate, and I won't use the word, but it's black people. And she said, oh, do you? She said, well, we're going to have to go see Aunt Jane and let her know. Well, she can't come over here and take care of you if you hate her. Mm -hmm. And I said, no, I don't want to go. Well, you're going to have to tell her. <laughs> and I cried. Mm -hmm. I was seven or eight years old. <clears throat> I have never forgotten that. Mm -hmm. tell you working at 911 in the last 27 years that most a lot of the kids are biracial now they don't tease each other about that they don't they most of them have broken homes so they don't tease each other about that but they are so when I get calls about the children and the mother fighting the way they speak to each other on the phone mm -hmm. none of us I've, I've never heard and I would never talk to my mother in any way that these kids talk to their mother and their mothers talk the same way to them. Screaming about how they need to get out of their house and the ugly words they say. There's no love in their family. It's just, it's terrible. And, and talking about the absence of any right. biblical training, y'all heard me give both of these illustrations I'll mm -hmm. give. I've, I've given these before. I was counseling with a young couple one time. And somewhere in there, John 3.16 got brought up. I forget now exactly why. He said, is that what they mean in the end zone? When they hold up John 3.16 or JM 3.16? Is that what that's referring to? And I was like, yeah. And he's like, what's that verse? What, what's it saying mean? He'd never heard it before. And he said, I told you. I didn't grow up in church. We never went to church, never cracked open a Bible. I don't even know what you're talking about. But now I see what you're saying. That's what that's the signs they hold up. And I'm sitting in the home of another young couple, and they had one of those famous paintings. I don't remember if it was of 
uh, the animals getting on the ark. I think it was, if I remember correctly, when the animals were getting off the ark. There's one, there's one of each. The animal, Noah, getting them on the ark, getting off the ark. You know what painting I'm talking about? Beautiful painting hanging over the couch. And the wife and I were talking about that, and the, the young man said, that's a Bible story? And we were like, yeah. He said, I've always wondered about that painting. I had no idea what it was. That, that's in the Bible? And we were like, yeah. And he was like, I've never heard that before. Total lack of any familiarity with the script. And we're seeing that more and more and more. It's astounding. I think that's why we need to have love and compassion yeah. for people that have no idea. Right. They yeah. don't know. If I didn't have God's Word, I wouldn't know a lot of things exactly. that are right. right. Yep. So I think that we we need to sure. have a way of sure. I, I don't know how to say it, but getting through <coughs> to them without being condemning. Yeah. Because sin is sin. Sure.